Chapter 22 of Monica. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Monica by Evelyn Everett Green. An Enigma. It was a relief when the other men came in and when dinner was announced. Randolph evidently knew nothing of any disturbing element in the party as he handed Beatrice in to dinner, and again made a sort of attempt to introduce her to Tom, who was seated opposite, not knowing that Monica had already had an opportunity of performing that little ceremony. "'You are two of my oldest friends, you know,' said their host in his pleasant, easy fashion, "'and you are both my guests now, so you will have a capital opportunity of expatiating together upon my many perfections.' "'No need for that, Randolph,' answered Beatrice gaily. "'They speak too loud for themselves, and your wife's eyes tell too many tales of them. "'You know, I never could bear paragons. "'If you turn into one, I shall have no more to say to you.' "'You are very cutting, Beatrice, almost as much so as Tom here. "'It is really rather a trying position to be hedged in between a clever woman and a clever man.' "'If you call me a clever woman again, Randolph, I'll never forgive you. "'I abominate the whole race,' cried Beatrice hotly. "'And as for clever men, I detest them.' "'This was said so heartily as to elicit a guffaw of laughter "'from the ruddy-faced young gentleman of sporting tastes "'who was her neighbour on the other side. "'She turned to him with one of her most sparkling glances. "'Now you, I am quite certain, agree with me. "'Your face tells me you do. "'Don't you think that it is the clever people "'who make the world an intolerable place?' "'They're the greatest nuisance out,' "'assented that young man cordially. "'I always did say so.' I was never clever. I was plucked three times, I think, for my little go. Then you and I are sure to be great friends, said Beatrice, laughing. I am quite, quite sure I should never have passed any examination if I had been a man. I was at Oxford once long ago, and, oh, you know, the only men that were any good at all were those who had been plucked, as they call it, or fully expected to be. The clever, good, precocious boys were... Oh, well, let us not think of them. It takes away one's appetite. The sporting gentleman laughed and enjoyed this summary verdict, but Randolph just glanced across at his wife. He, too, was aware that there was something odd in Beatrice's manner. He detected the covert vein of bitterness in her tone, and he was at as much lost to understand it as anyone else could be. Tom's face and impenetrable silence puzzled him likewise. Dinner, however, passed smoothly enough. Beatrice was very lively, and her witticisms kept all the table alive. Her young neighbor lost his heart to her at once, and she flirted with him in the most frank and open fashion possible. She could be very fascinating when she chose, and tonight, after the first edge had been taken off her sallies, she was undoubtedly exceedingly attractive. If there was something a little forced in her mirth, at least nobody detected it, save those who knew her very well. And not even all of those, for Haddon was obviously unconscious that anything was wrong, and talked to Monica in the most unconcerned fashion possible. What Tom thought of it all, nobody could hazard an opinion. At length Monica gave the signal to her animated guest, and they, too, withdrew together. Beatrice laughed gaily as she half-walked, 
half-waltzed across the hall, humming a dance tune the while. "'What a lovely place this would be for a dance!' she exclaimed. "'A mask, or better still, a fancy-dress ball. "'Shouldn't we look charming in these panelled rooms, "'flitting about this great baronial hall "'and up and down that delightful staircase? "'Monica, you and Randolph mustn't get lazy. "'You must lift up to your house. "'It is too beautiful to be wasted. "'If you don't know how to manage matters, "'I must come and teach you.' "'And so she rattled on, first on one theme and then on another,' in restless, aimless fashion, as people do who are talking against time, or talking with a purpose, determined not to let silence fall between them and their companions. It was easy to see that Beatrice wished to avoid any confidential conversation, wished to escape from any kind of questioning or from quiet talk of whatever description it might be. When at length she did let Monica go back to the drawing-room, it was not with any idea of silence. She went straight to the piano and began playing stormily. Presently, after dashing off fragments vocal and instrumental in a sort of confused medley, Monica, growing dreamy as she listened to the succession of changing harmonies, she began once again with more of purpose and of passion in her voice. Indeed, there was so much of pain and passion that Monica was aroused to listen. My heart, my heart is like a singing bird Whose nest is in a watered shoot My heart, my heart is like an apple tree Whose boughs are hung with thick-set fruit My heart, my heart is like a rainbow shell That paddles in a halcyon sea my heart, my heart is gladder than all these, because my love, my love has come to me. My heart. And then the singer's voice failed utterly. A dismal, discordant chord broke the eager harmonies that had followed one another so rapidly. Beatrice broke into a sudden storm of tears, and hurried from the room without a word. Monica sat aghast and bewildered. What could it all mean? Was she by chance to come upon the secret sorrow of Beatrice's life, the sorrow she had half suspected sometimes, but had never heard in any way explained? Was it to be explained to her now? Was Tom Pendrel connected with that sorrow? If so, what part had he had taken? Could they ever have been lovers? Did she not remember long ago hearing something of a suspicion on Mrs. Pendrell's part that Tom had been jilted by the woman he loved? Was there not a time long ago when he was not the reserved cynical man he affected now to be, but was genial, brilliant, the pleasantest of companions? Yes, Monica was sure of it, was certain that he had changed, and changed somewhat suddenly many years since but she had paid but little heed to the matter then, as it was about that time when every faculty was absorbed in watching over Arthur, who long lay hovering between life and death. Changes after that passed almost unheeded. Had not her whole life been changed too? She did not follow Beatrice, however, to try to comfort her or attempt to force her confidence. She treated her as she would wish herself to be treated in similar case—
and shortly after the gentlemen had joined them, had the satisfaction of seeing Beatrice come back as brilliant and full of vivacity as ever, and there was no need, after her appearance, to wonder how the evening should be passed. It seemed quite sufficient entertainment for the company to sit in a circle round her and hear Beatrice talk. Tom Pendrell was the one exception. He did not attempt to join the magic ring. He took Monica a little apart and talked over with her the latest news from Germany. When the guests had departed, and Beatrice, as well as her brother and Monica, had gone upstairs, Tom turned his face toward Randolph with its hardest and most cynical look. "'Tell you what, Trevelyn, don't you ask that poor young fellow Ratlet here again so long as that arrant flirt is a guest on your roof.' Randolph simply smiled. "'The arrant flirt, as you're polite enough to call my guest, is one of my oldest friends. Kindly keep that fact in mind in talking of her to me.' I'm not talking of her. I'm talking of poor young Radlett. It seems to me that poor young Radlett, as you call him, is very well able to take care of himself. Oh, you think that, do you? Shows you how much you know. Can't you see she was doing her very best to enslave his fancy, and that he was falling under the spell as fast as ever he could? Pooh! Nonsense, answered Randolph. They were just exchanging a little of the current coin that is constantly passing in gay society. Young Radlett is not a greenhorn. They understand their game perfectly. She does, of course, no one better, but it's a question if he does. Well, he's a greater fool than he looks if he does not, answered Randolph. Does he expect a girl like Beatrice Wentworth to be enslaved by his charms in the course of a few hours? The thing's a manifest absurdity. Possibly... But that woman can make a man think anything. Randolph looked at his friend with some attention. You seem to have formed very exhaustive conclusions about Lady Beatrice Wentworth. It almost seemed as if Tom colored a little as he turned impatiently away. Next day, Beatrice seemed to have regained her usual even flow of spirits. She met Tom at breakfast as she would meet any guest under the same roof, and neither courted nor avoided him in any way. He seemed to take his cue from her, but his face still wore the thin-lipped, cynical expression that betrayed a certain amount of subdued irritation. However, sport was the all-prevailing topic of the hour, and as soon as breakfast was concluded, the men departed, with the dogs and keepers in their wake. "'What would you like to do, Beatrice?' asked Monica when the sportsman had disappeared. We have the whole day before us. Like to do? Why, everything must be delightful in this lovely out-of-the-world place, Monica. No wonder you're just yourself. Not one bit like anyone else. Brought up here with only the sea and the clouds and the sunshine for companions and playmates. I used to look at you in a sort of wonder, but I understand it all now. You ought always to live at Trevelyn, never anywhere else. What should I like to do? Why, anything! Suppose we ride. I should love to gallop along the cliffs with you. I want to see the queer little church Haddon described to me, where you were married, in the picturesque little town where, where Randolph and he put up on the eve of that day. I want to see everything that belongs to your past life, Monica. It interests me more than I can express. Monica smiled in her tranquil fashion. Very well. You shall gratify your wish. 
I will order the horses at once. If we go to St. Ma's, I ought to go and see Aunt Elizabeth, Mrs. Pendrell, that is, aunt to Arthur and to Tom Pendrell and his brother. She is sure to want us to stay to luncheon with her if we do. She will be all alone, Tom here and Raymond on his rounds. Would you dislike that, Beatrice? She is a sweet old lady and seems more a part of my past life than anything else I can show you, though I could not perhaps explain why. A curious light shone in Beatrice's eyes. Dislike it? I should like it above everything. I love old ladies. They're so much more interesting than young ones. I often wish I were old myself, not middle-aged, you know, but really old, very old, with lovely white hair and a waxen face all over, tiny wrinkles like my own grandmother. The most beautiful woman without exception that I ever saw. Yes, Monica, let's do that. It will be delightful. Why did you never mention the Pendles to me before? She put the question with studied carelessness. Yet Monica was certain it was asked with effort. Did I not? I thought I used to tell you so much about my past life. So you did, but I never heard that name. You knew Arthur was a Pendril? Indeed, I did not. He was always Arthur to you. I wonder I never asked his surname, but somehow I never did. I had a vague idea that some such people as these Pendrils existed, but I never heard you name them. Perhaps you heard and forgot it? suggested Monica tentatively. That I am sure I never did, was the very emphatic answer. Beatrice was delighted with her morning's ride. It was a beautiful autumn day, and everything was looking its best. The sea flashed and sparkled in the sunlight. The sky was clear and soft above them. The horses, delighted to feel the soft turf beneath their feet, pranced and curvetted and galloped, with that easy, elastic motion that is so peculiarly exhilarating. The girl herself looked peculiarly and vividly beautiful, and Monica was not surprised at the affectionate interest Mrs. Pendrell evinced in her from the first moment of introduction. But she was a little surprised at the peculiar sweetness of Beatrice's demeanour toward the old lady. Whilst retaining all her arch-brightness and vivacity, the girl managed to infuse into her manner, her voice, and her words something gentle and deferential and winning that was inexplicably fascinating, all the more so from its evident unconscious sincerity. Mrs. Pendrell was charmed with the beauty and sweetness of the girl, and it seemed as if Beatrice on her side was equally fascinated. When the time came to say goodbye, and the old lady held both her hands and gazed into her bright face as she asked for another visit very soon, she stooped suddenly and kissed her with pretty, spontaneous warmth. "'Come again? Of course I will, as often as Monica will bring me. Goodbye, Mrs. Pendrell, and Elizabeth, I should like to say,' with a little rippling laugh. "'I think you are just fit to be Monica's Saint Elizabeth. Is it the air of this place that makes you all so perfectly delightful? I shall have to come and live here, too, I think.' And as she and Monica rode home together over the sweeping downs, Beatrice turned to her after a long pause of silence and said, "'Monica, it was a dangerous experiment asking me to travel in.' "'Why?' because I don't feel as if I should ever want to leave it again, and I'm a dreadful sort of creature when I'm bent on my own way. Monica smiled. 
You will have to turn me out neck and crop in the end, I firmly believe. I feel I should just take root here and never wish to go. Monica shook her head with a look of subdued amusement. I'm very glad it pleases you so much, but do you know, Beatrice, I think you will have a different tale to tell in a week or two. You cannot realize till you have tried it how solitary and isolated we are, especially as the winter draws on. Very soon you will think it is a dreadfully lonely place, a sort of enchanted castle, as Randolph used to call it, and you will be pining to get back to the gay, busy whirl of life that you have left behind. Monica stopped short there, struck by the strange look turned upon her by her companion. Beatrice's face had grown grave and almost pale. A curious, wistful sadness shone in her eyes. It almost seemed as if tears glistened on the long lashes. Her words were almost as enigmatical as her looks. She gazed at Monica for a moment speechlessly and then softly murmured, Et tu, Brute? End of chapter 21 End of volume 2